0: Welcome to the fourth episode of the Digital Leaders Podcast, where I interview the digital leaders of today to educate the digital leaders of tomorrow. My name is Fabian Tausch, and I'm a 22-year-old entrepreneur from Berlin. I'm hosting the Digital Leaders Podcast, and I'm running the Young Entrepreneurs Program, a nonprofit to support the ecosystem of young entrepreneurs and the most talented young entrepreneurs aged between 17 and 23 years old. And today, my guest, she's working at Salesforce, she's an author, she's a podcast host, and she's very, very inspiring. She is the customer growth and innovation evangelist at Salesforce, she is the author of Growth IQ, it's a book about 10 growth strategies that you can use to grow your business, and she's the host of the What's Next podcast. Welcome with me, Tiffany Bova, and please stay until the end, because then you'll understand how you can win some of her books. So I would say let's dive right in, have a great time with Tiffany. Welcome to another interview in the Digital Leaders podcast. Today I have a guest, and she is definitely a person I want to know about way more than I could um, just find in my research because I think there's way more behind it that I could cover in a short time that I researched and as you know I'm, I'm not researching too much because I always lo- love to discover new things and to go from a perspective of the listener to really understand what the person is about. Today I have uh, Tiffany Bova on my podcast and she is Chief Evangelist for customer growth and innovation at Salesforce, and also author of a book, podcaster, and a lot more. So we will talk about a lot of stuff, and I'm really, really happy to have you on the podcast.
1: Oh, well, thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. Um, Just to to give a bit of a short introduction about your person, Um, how did, maybe it's not that short, but how did you end up at, at Salesforce? I think there is a lot happening in between, and... How is it to balance a podcast, a book, and the work at Salesforce? How how does this um, goes? How does this go hand in hand?
1: Well, so I have uh, had the pleasure of being here at Salesforce for a little more than three years now. Uh, for the decade before that, I was a distinguished analyst and research fellow at Gartner, covering uh, go to market models and sales transformation, indirect channel strategies, and really. Uh, Talking and thinking about the impact of uh, digital to the way companies grow, market, service, and sell to their customers. So I had a an amazing opportunity there to meet customers from all over the world, companies, small business, startups, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, uh, and and trying to understand sort of what are their challenges, what are the things that they're facing. Um, Before that, I spent about 15 years as a practitioner, meaning I ran sales, I ran marketing, and I ran customer service uh, for startups as well as uh, Fortune 500 companies, mostly in tech. I've sort of grown up in and around technology for almost 27 years now. I've been in the technology space in some way, software, hardware, services, and I was very, very early in the in the sort of push towards cloud. Um, So that's kind of how I got here. Uh, But joining Salesforce, I decided that wasn't enough of a job. So I decided to write a book and launch a podcast, almost at the same time, and brands are using customer experience in new ways to compete differently. And then, what are the in- intricacies, if you will, on why some companies grow and why some companies don't grow? And so that—that's sort of what I get to do every day. So it's really an awesome opportunity.
0: Why are you so interested <laughs> or motivated about this topic? Uh, about growth, and growth <laughs> and uh, everything around it.
1: Well, I, you know, I, I sort of lightly touched on the fact that I, I used to be a sales practitioner, so I joke that I'm a recovering seller, <laughs> that I bleed sales blood. Um, and so growth really is the result of being able to sell. So at, at its top line, right, the book Growth IQ is about top line growth. It's not about M&A and it's not about cost cutting. Uh, so for me, growth is very much aligned to sales. And, and really what is super interesting to me and what I've always found passion in is selling, you know, and how to really connect with customers in new ways. Um, so I'd say that, that that's really what led me to this particular topic. Um, but the long and the short of it is I have this belief that companies do two things. They make stuff and they sell stuff. <laughs> so you can make really great stuff, whatever that quote unquote stuff is, service, hardware, software, whatever it might be, a car, a widget. Um, but at the end of the day, if you can't sell it, it doesn't matter. If you have a really good sales team and sales process and you're using amazing sales technology and your product isn't very good, it doesn't matter. So really those two things hand in hand are what uh, interest me most about, about businesses.
0: When did you discover the passion and how did you discover it? So did you test a lot of things? Was it clear to you in, in, the, in the early days when you started working because you did something in your childhood? Where does it come from?
1: So I'm highly competitive. I played sports my whole life. And so sales is really just another form of competition because you're trying to beat the competition or beat the brand that's trying to displace you or whatever in the case might be. So uh, that, was, that was an easy one for me. Uh, I stumbled upon uh, realizing that I was really good at sales. Uh, and then I had to learn how to be a marketer. And then I had to learn how to run customer service. And so I've always really stretched myself to find uh, ways that, that I can expand my own knowledge set. And when I got the opportunity to spend a decade at, at Gartner, I had to learn how to be an academic, like to actually study what companies do. And for an extrovert who talks for a living uh, and sells for a living, it was very difficult to all of a sudden be very introverted, right, which is very writing, thinking oriented. And so for a it took me about four or five years to sort of get my stride and learn how to be an analyst. And then once I kind of found my superpowers, if you will, uh, I was able to unlock a lot of uh, thinking that that businesses uh, really appreciated and started to adopt. And so with that began this journey of me saying, uh, wow, you know, I, I sort of have this point of view that's unique. How can I amplify that in new and different ways? And that led to the book, which led to the podcast, which led to me uh, ultimately joining Salesforce.
0: Very, very interesting um... Because everybody has its his or her own journey, and it's always interesting to to get a bit to know the person and to understand where the person is coming from, what what's happened, and how did everything that's the actual situation come from. And in this case, um, just to as we mentioned it already a few times, um, talking about the book, it's about a growth strategies to to bring up uh, or to to level up the top line you mentioned and talking about about strategies and um how how do you analyze what strategy uh, talking about strategies later or or uh, in the same in the same uh answer but um how do you start when you think about developing a growth strategy let's put it that way
1: yeah so for me i you know i called the book growth iq and it wasn't an accident like i just fully believe that growth is a thinking game and so it's it's has a lot to do without thinking the competition. So then I had to figure out, okay, how can I create some kind of framework that, regardless of size, company, startup, entrepreneur, small business, medium business enterprise, and then could be a global enterprise, could they leverage this? and i I leaned back on my own personal experience of running brands and running divisions and you know running p and ls. and then my decade of analyzing it. And I came to this conclusion that I got asked this question a lot. What's the one thing I can do, Tiffany, in quarter, in this year to correct the fact that I'm not seeing the growth I was really anticipating? And I learned that the one thing was it wasn't one thing. And so then I had to say, okay, well, it can't be, you know, 385 things. I, I can't look at a client and go, well, there's 385 things we can talk about. So I had to come up with something digestible, right, something that they could actually absorb and consume, So I came up with 10. And those 10 growth paths, by the way, are nothing that someone reading the book would not go, wow, I've never thought of this before. That's not the case. What I tried to do was to take some of the most common practices when it comes to growth and modernize them based on the fact that now we are in this very digital economy. The fourth industrial revolution's upon us. Uh, Businesses are spending millions, um, and in some cases, billions, on modernizing the data center and digitizing the business. The consumer and the customer has far more power in their hands than they ever did before with the smartphone. They're much further down the buyer journey. So with that said, could strategic models that were built literally in the late 1800s, in the middle 1950s, And in the 1980s, are they still relevant in 2018? And the answer was yes, with a but at the end of it, right? But it needed to be modernized. And so that's how I came up with the 10. So I said, it has to be 10 that people can understand and they agree upon. So that's where I started. And then I said, well, the best way for me to tell this story is to let other businesses tell the story. So it's 30 case studies. Anyone from a Red Bull to, uh, you know, could be in the U.S., could be someone like Sears, to the airline industry. It's cross-industry, cross-segment, cross-region. And I let their growth stories validate my thinking and show how it really worked. And so that was my way of trying to expose, if you will – Um, Those best practices without me uh, taking 300 pages and sort of saying this is what I think. Um, Instead, it is what I think, but told from the voice of how these businesses actually used them.
0: Do you have a favorite case study that we could talk about a bit?
1: So it's interesting. Depending on where I am in the world, right, that answer changes. Um, The one I get asked the most about is Kylie Jenner. Uh, She's part of the Kardashian family. She's uh, the youngest. Uh, She just turned 21. Um, And whatever you may think about the Kardashians really doesn't matter uh, because ultimately the story is about how a... Um, You know, 20-year-old at the time, almost 19 and a half, was able to build a $650 million U.S. turnover business in less than three years with 12 employees. (laughs) Right? And so, like, you just got to stop for a second. So it's it's a beauty line. And so you say, how long did it take Chanel? How long did it take Mac makeup, how long did it take, you know, uh, YSL, how long did it take, you just rattle them off. um, uh, And you say, how long did it take them to get to the first billion? And in some case, it was 30 or 40 years. It was always longer than 10. Now you've got somebody who's been able to do it in less than three. So what has changed? It goes back to what we were just saying. Well, she's got, yes, you know, almost 200 million social media followers. But what does that teach you? That social can actually sell. She didn't go through retail. It was direct to consumer. The second thing was, did she go and build labs and manufacturing and supply chains? No. She partnered to deliver it. Well, that's something you can learn too, right? So regardless of who it was. Um, In this particular region, I'd say I love the Red Bull story. Um, And the reason I love the Red Bull story is they very much waited almost uh, more than a decade to leave their region to start to expand globally. So what does that teach you? The other thing was it was also about using social media. I'm going to have some guy jump from space, right? It was all about this kind of very much uh, adrenaline junkie fan. Okay, who's your fan? What can you learn from that? The third thing I'd say I learned from them was the fact that they stayed so true to who they are, they've never expanded into other things.
0: And I just want to add something in here. I talked to a Red Bull employee a few Let's say weeks ago, and she was talking to uh, Matoschitz directly, like the founder. And she uncovered how, t- like, he's a guy. If he makes a handshake, it's totally what he does. He mentioned when, or she mentioned when he was back then, and I think it's very important to make this story about Red Bull a bit more. And I think some of them of you might know, but when he was in uh, Asia to dis- and discover Red Bull, he said via handshake, there is no contract. Um, hey, you get 50% of the business um, to the person that developed the drink and then he brought it to to um, Europe, Europe and still, until the, today they get their fair share of Red Bull, so even when the person who was the inventor died already the family still gets supported by Red Bull because of this handshake and shit will not change it I think that's also very interesting and stay true to yourself um, to, to Validate this point a bit more.
1: Yeah, well, it, and, and you know, the, the opening sentence of that particular chapter is, you know, what happens when he, he walked in and a Thai guy walk into a bar, what happens? Red Bull, <laughs> right? I mean, so it's sort of a joke. But ultimately... Uh, Um, You know, they only recently sort of expanded into flavors. And so what does that tell you? Some 20 years later, like they stayed very true to who they are, what they are, how they marketed, the importance of partnerships, um, what they did uh, with other brands, um, who they are to their customers, Uh, you know, even so much as, uh, you know, that Red Bull will give you wings, uh, having someone sue them by saying that it doesn't really give you wings. Well, you think, but you know, for another podcast, probably. But ultimately, you know, I I think Red Bull's a great story. But, you know, the the topic that I want to, or the, the reason I showed those stories was for this very reason. So if you're a company who is a startup and you have a product and you may think you need to expand into other products, the Red Bull story may tell you, no, 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 no. Like, we're really good at this one product. Like, how do we expand this one product more broadly? And no matter what, you know, you don't see them getting into chips and water and, you know, other kinds of of um, nutritional products or drinks. You just don't. And their competitors, you know, let's just pick Pepsi and Coca-Cola, We're not paying attention to them for almost 15 years. And they built this entirely new category, right, in energy drinks. Now everyone's got one, but still they're the leader. So what can you learn? So I, I think that was my way of talking about growth so that, businesses that read uh, growth IQ can find a little bit of themselves in each of those stories. So in the Kylie story, should they stand up their own manufacturing? Do they need to, you know, do they need to do all these things? Well, maybe they can partner to do it. In the Red Bull story, you know, should I expand? Well, maybe I don't need to. And so that's how I uh, tried to get people to focus on what are they known for? Why do people pick them? Why do customers choose them? And then how can they really amplify what they're good at?
0: So who is no? Who is your, if you have, um, you talked about fans and uh, the, the fan of, of um, Red Bull, for example, who is your fan then for this book?
1: Well, so when I first went to my publisher, uh, one of the very first questions they'll ask you is, who's the intended audience of the book? And so my initial answer was, well, everyone, which is never a good answer. Cause it's just like as with a startup. Well, who's going to, who's, who's your target buyer? Everyone, right? Never a good answer because it means you have no focus. But the good news is, is that I tried to use stories. That it could be a startup, it could be someone who runs a division of a of a very large organization. It could be an executive who's trying to turn around. I've heard from all kinds of people from Fortune, uh, you know, one hundred, from uh, Fitzy one hundred, from uh, those in APAC at the fifty level. I've heard from startups and small and medium business individual contributors, and so I think there that I tried to make something for everyone. It may not make sense to you today, but if you're moving and you're early in your career and you're starting to move up into management, I'm going to guess at some point something that you've read in the book will uh, be relevant. So uh, the the wrong answer is everyone. (laughs) The right answer is uh, really any any business or any executive or any person who has some responsibility uh, for growth
0: okay I would just say for everybody who feels like this might be the right book just go on Amazon or wherever you want to buy a book I think it should be listed if it's not too local in Germany for example it depends a bit on uh, where you're um, but you will find it. it and I will link it in the description uh, Growth IQ by by Tiffany Bova you will, you will find it um, but um, and I will also I don't know how and how many whatever do a giveaway I will pre- uh, announce it uh, somewhere on social media so just make Sure to follow there, I'll link it below, and I will also put in the conditions that I ca- come up with, but I don't know yet how many, what exactly, but just just to make sure to mention it. Because I think it's very important to uh, think about about growth and to... Yeah, think about the points that you are making in a book. Even when I haven't read it yet, I, I just researched quickly over over what you talked about, because I didn't have the time to read a whole book in the in the since we decided a few days ago to make the, to record the interview. So. I think it's very important for everybody to think about this, but also learn from successful stories. That's how I came up with my first German podcast over the last two and a half years, 150 episodes of interviewing successful founders to make it accessible for young founders. That's why I started this podcast, to make it accessible for young people, to think, jump into the minds of uh, people that are executives, founders, scientists, whatever. Every, every kind of people it can be athletes. Just because you can learn from everybody, but you need to have the access to the person and it's not that everybody is um let's say easily accessible so it's it's very important to learn from from the people and uh, that's also why I think it's a great way to to listen or to read the book and yeah, so um first of all um a question afterwards how how was it was it the first book that you published it was. What was it kind of the process? Because I think it's painful. <laughs> exactly. That's what I thought about. <laughs> so um, I think, yeah, what what were your biggest learnings? And it doesn't have to be exactly the book uh, developing process, yep. but what have been the be- biggest learnings out of this?
1: Uh, it's not one of my superpowers. Mm-hmm. So writing is not my superpower. That would be the first thing I learned. But What I'm masterful at is I'm a masterful storyteller. And so I had to figure out um, after giving probably four or five hundred keynotes somewhere around the world in front of multiple hundreds of thousands of people that I have a very distinct way of telling a story. And so it was challenging for me to figure out how do I take my storytelling style from stage to written word. So... That, that's very different, right? Will it make sense? Will it jump off the page? So I tried to be um, mindful of I am a visual listen learner, not a read learner individually. So how could I make the book digestible for someone who isn't going to sit and read 300 pages? Because we don't all read books like that. If I could get someone to the second or third chapter, I was hopeful they would keep reading. And so what's great and the feedback that I've gotten is is that they almost can hear me telling them the stories. And so I, 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 hopefully I did a good job of translating the way I tell stories. That was one. Two, I made it in digestible chunks of a story. So each story is only like three or four pages long because my attention span is short. So I wanted to write a book that I would want to read. And so if I have to read the whole thing or I don't understand what I'm actually reading, then I'm more or less inclined to actually take anything away from it. So those short stories were so if someone could just sit down and read a story in 10 or 15 minutes, they could put the book down, pick it back up, read another story. And so uh, I was given really great advice early in this process was write a book you'd want to read. And then I said, well, let me read. Every best business book that anyone has ever said has been written. And what did I think was missing and what did I like and what didn't I like? And so I used sketch notes instead of using like Excel spreadsheets or PowerPoint kind of images. And so I think what I learned was uh, how to be more succinct in telling a story and how to get my spoken word onto paper in a way that still resonated with who I am and kind of, you know, the way that I want to uh, portray what I think about growth. So I'd say that that's what I'd learn. And then the next question I usually get is, am I going to write another one? I find it really highly unlikely that I will write another book because it was um, a really difficult process for me. But I'm, I couldn't be more happy with the results. But, you know, it's just it's on its. Uh, so it's left the United States. It's now in Europe. Uh, so you can buy it, at you know, as you mentioned, bookstores and online uh, at, at your favorite retailers. Um, but it's on its way to Spain and Portugal and and Asia as well. And so it, it's got another seven countries behind it that it's going to be Polish. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if we've got German coming up, which it may be translated. Um, but ultimately, you know, I, I've got a long time to go before this book, uh, you know, sort of gets gets a little uh, long in the tooth, if
0: you will. Congratulations on, you. on everything. Um I'm more the the audiobook guy, but uh, this sounds like a book I could also read because I'm very bad in sitting down, taking yes. a book up, and then really reading it. I think it takes me ages to read one book, but listening and then understanding, I'm way better in.
1: But that's why I wrote it the way I wrote it. Number one, right? Because exactly. It's just like I I have a very small attention span, and so if you don't capture me quick, I'm out. Like I just I have no interest. So so that's why I did it. It's my voice also, which is like a little seven hours or something like that of my voice. And it took 48 hours almost to record. The one thing I'd tell you about, and it's on a Kindle version as well, or, you know, digital version, is um, that you lose the subtlety in listening because the book is also visually very stimulating. Like I underline things for you. I call stuff out because, once again, if you're not going to read the whole page, I underline on purpose to go, okay, if you're not going to read this whole page just read this two lines, right? Because then I know at least you've got what I wanted you to know, right? So ultimately, um, I have had people who have listened and then, but you don't know there's a sketch note, you don't know something's underlined, you don't know what the call out quote is, right? Because I can't i can't I can't tell you that right on an audiobook it just doesn't work, so that's the one thing I'd say if if uh if you listen that many people have said they've listened and then purchased the book because they wanted to take notes so what
0: I wanted to say was more that i um really will buy the book because I like the layout that you said you had yep. done even when I haven't seen it yet but um I think that's also a book that should definitely land on uh, Blinkist, for example. In a short time, uh, the key facts and the key learnings out of um, the whole growth strategies. Maybe I should connect you there. Um, But um, talking about... I had a question in mind, but I forgot when we talked about... um, Uh, yeah exactly about the next book I, I thought about it because you as you're running a podcast we mentioned it already and you had great guests on it you could definitely also go for the Tim Ferriss approach take the interviews let somebody outline the most important points that have been there and let somebody write it down because you produce the content already and then you would be able to publish in their book so now the question is How do you um, do the interviews? Are they related to one topic? Are they more uh, general about the people and whatever? But this could work as well. And you could see it that Tim Ferriss uh, was running at least two great um, approaches with this. So um, maybe... This could be a second book, even if you don't want to write one. But, uh, <laughs> I just thought about it as you. Yeah, have mentioned.
1: well, so I'd say this: uh, the the podcast is called "What's Next" with Tiffany Bova. You can get it on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. I'll link it below. Yeah, what you know, whatever, uh, whatever your you know choice is. Um, and uh, I called it "What's Next" because then I could just talk about whatever I wanted to talk about. Uh, but it—it it, it really is. It, I have this uh, array of people from startups to chief marketing officers to executives um, from around the globe, uh, you know, as well as those that are are really considered sort of uh, leading thinkers in their particular space. Um, and it's like this conversation we're having right now. You know, I try to make it like you know. How do we make it engaging and someone's going to learn something and take something and learn a little bit more about that person? And so I would agree. Uh, so I've turned many of them into blogs, uh, which is, you know, my light version of trying to uh, have to still put out, you know, written content. Uh, but I but I to your point, I think it's I think it's really meant to be a podcast. Uh, maybe I'll do a you know combination of multiple podcasts and sort of roll it up to one. But sure. you know, I mean Malcolm Gladwell, they you know they take let me take you know thirty or forty of my articles in the New York Times and write a book and it be, you know sells millions of copies. Um, maybe I don't know.
0: That's what what Tim Ferriss did. I think he took let's say fifty to hundred interviews, like whatever number you have, and then try to digest it into chapters or let somebody figure out who said something about what topic and then you can easily publish it with all of the reach of the other people, which is also very helpful to become a bestseller, I think. But um, yeah, just it was just imagination, uh, as you said. You so t- you can won't. always
1: roll up my podcast. Have a, have at it. <laughs> Sorry,
0: I'm uh, I'm also not a good writer. As I can't can't read too long, I can also not just sit down and uh, yeah, write so it's, that long. It's, so.
1: it's crazy. So I, I actually had to um, uh, record just like this, because so I can talk. But, so I would. Basically, give a keynote. I would record it, it would transcribe it, and then I would, you know, clean it up. And so that was the way I wrote because I would just stare at that cursor, you know, sort of blinking at me, and nothing would happen. But if I stood up and started telling the story, it would just flow. So that was how I overcame my. Um, inability to sit and write.
0: Yeah, that's a very nice um, thing for everybody who's not good at writing, but also just uh, can use
1: has something uh, to a, say.
0: A recording, and then uh, just let it go. Yeah. I think it's uh, very easy to write blog posts as well. Even your Mac has a fun- if you have a Mac an Apple uh, MacBook, then you have a function to just speak, and it easily puts in into writing. So you don't even have to use a recording and then tra- uh, let it. Let people write it down. Absolutely. So it's it's very easy to to do so, and I think um, regarding the first steps of the book, um, was it like okay, just start and do something, and then you figure out how it will go, or did you plan out everything and bef- uh, before upfront, whatever?
1: Yeah. So I planned out everything, and none of that worked. So, <laughs> so you know, as I was in the process, uh, the structure of the book really started to show itself you know as i started to tell those stories like the fact that i did 30 stories there's two positive use cases of each of those growth paths and one cautionary tale so it's not just what everyone's done that's worked it's also here's what didn't work mm-hmm. so people can learn and so once that started to fall into place then i started looking for stories of of it working and not working and then i decided on the sketch notes then i decided you know and so it it started to reveal itself almost like a really long keynote like a seven-hour keynote, right, because that's how long it took to, to do the audiobook. Um, but ultimately, uh, uh, the 10 paths, interestingly enough, the 10th path was unconventional strategies. And I was going to try to figure out what's the next freemium model, which was sort of very unconventional many years ago. And so what's going to be the next, you know, sort of freemium? What's next? that feels like or looks like freemium. That's what I thought the 10th path would be. And then I started working here at Salesforce. uh, And we are very much aligned to equality and equal pay for equal work and, you know, just treating everyone with respect. And and so I I actually changed the 10th path, unconventional strategies to be purpose over profit and uh, you know, just thinking about sort of the growth in a societal way, purposeful growth versus just top-line uh, growth, mm-hmm. right? And that's really where it started to lean. Why? What companies are starting to now invest in things early on, giving back either their time or products or whatever it might be. Uh, and so I thought it was going to be freemium when I started. And then when I started working here, it really, you know, with our CEO, Mark Benioff, being so focused on that that it just – It was the right way to end that book, uh, that the first path is customer experience. So sort of start with your customer. And the 10th path is just, you know, treating your employees and the communities that you work in uh, better so that, you know, we sort of the purpose of business is to just be better. So ultimately that 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 was different than what I had thought. And that really kind of came out halfway
0: through the process. It's also very interesting to see. And and I think a lot of people try to always do what they planned out and then not uh, moving away from from the structure. It's very interesting to, to see people uh, changing everything on the go. It's how you see it with a business plan, for example, for a, for a company. A lot of people say, hey, we will do X, Y, and Z, and then in the end you have nothing out of the business plan, but it was just a good idea what, what you wanted to do, but the company pivoted, for example, and it's also... As something you could learn as an author, but also as a company, you can see, hey, you can plan everything, but it will be completely different. I think everybody who did and executed something knows this already, but uh, it's also very, very interesting. And um, I think the, the last chapter leads us back to, to Salesforce a bit, because what I would love to talk about is, and I got the Presslet release from what's... what's uh, today tomorrow i have no idea about the date but um salesforce is um also investing in startups and helping helping startups grow so i think it's very important to understand uh, for for people that salesforce is not just a sauce software but also uh, an opportunity to grow could you elaborate a bit on on that
1: Well, you know, I'd say this, you know, it was just recently our 20th anniversary and we were a startup just, you know, not that long ago. And while we have grown exponentially, uh, I'd say this, that it's always been part of this sort of flywheel of growth of creating an environment where people can actually develop on top of our platform and having uh, ISVs and systems integrators be able to, you know, work with customers in in ways to really enhance how they use the technology, as well as the investments that we've made around the acquisitions. So if you go and look at what Salesforce Ventures is doing, is you know ultimately it's kind of twofold, right? One, you and in, we invest in the community from a venture standpoint, but. Two, on the other side of the coin, we're also investing from a trailhead perspective on reskilling and making commitments out of how many millions of people we want to train through our learning management platform. So those are two things, right? Because it's investing in the communities that we have offices and we have customers. So what are the venture investments we can make into the startup community to make sure that we are looking out for what's going to happen next from an innovation standpoint, but simultaneously making sure that we're investing in not only our people, but in our partner companies as well as communities to say, look, there's there's always a way for you to get, uh, you know, an education and get skilled on o- around our technology and our portfolio. So uh, Trailhead is a fantastic way to do that. Uh, but also from a startup community is saying, you know, what are the things that my Country, my town, my vertical, my industry is really struggling to solve. And how can I use the Salesforce ecosystem to solve those problems? And oh, if there's a gap in that, how do I develop that solution in and around that ecosystem? Because it's super powerful. the The ecosystem is, um, you know, standing up and supporting whether we invest or don't invest, huge businesses. And so ultimately, uh, I think that as a startup, you know, looking for a place where you can find a rich and growing business and hanging your hat there, uh, I, I think that that's a great strategy. So you know, Salesforce Ventures is one way. Whether we make an investment or you, in you or not, there's so many investments we make just broadly that you can take advantage of, like Trailhead, as an
0: example. I think that's a very, very um, good, let's say, wrap-up for for what you can do with, with uh, Salesforce and how it can be helpful. But I think we also got a very good insight on who you are, what you've been doing, and uh, especially about about the growth uh, strategies. bit of insight and a bit of a teaser for the book. I think that uh, was well done. Good good marketing and sales for your book, of, of course. <laughs> um, expected it from you as a salesperson, so uh, that that worked quite well. I'm uh, very glad that you t- took the time to jump on the interview and... If you want to add something and if you want to say something to the listeners uh, right now, then feel free to add, but I give you the last word.
1: Oh, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure uh, spending time with you. Uh, And I'd say, you know, if you want to keep tabs on what I'm doing and what I'm thinking about, follow me on Twitter. It's at Tiffany underscore Bova or follow me on LinkedIn um, and sort of all the other social platforms. And then if you happen to uh, decide to buy and read the book, I'd love to hear what you think.
0: Definitely. And just to add it, because I forgot it in the beginning, we're sitting in an Audi e-tron in the back, just because uh, the, we've been at the Salesforce base camp in Berlin. And it was a bit too loud inside and too noisy to record an interview. So now we are sitting in the back of a car recording this interview. And I think I'm uh, also very happy about this location because it's a bit of special for a, for a podcast recording. Carpool
1: podcast.
0: <laughs> I think there are some, uh, some formats out there, especially in Berlin, there's one guy who is um, driving around and interviewing people while driving so this really is is a thing and he's also becoming more popular on LinkedIn in the German world I think so um, it's very interesting to see but we're just sitting in the back we're not driving as you could hear but um, it was fun so thank you very much for joining.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you very much for listening. I really love this interview besides that I was too dumb to record um, my stuff from the beginning on I hope it was fine, but... Um, yeah, I will link down below her podcast. I will link down Tiffany's LinkedIn, if you want to reach out. I'll link down below her book. And if you want to win off one of her books, then please feel free to subscribe to the newsletter. It's news. I will, of course, um, put it in the description, as I will do with all the other links. And... I'm more than happy to give away uh, five to ten copies. I will decide that in a few days. And here is a short sneak peek for the next interview. The next interview is with Mark Tailing. He is working for SAP Leonardo. That's the AI unit from SAP. And he was working on uh, IBM Watson before. And I think it's very, very interesting how he defines artificial intelligence as a chance and not as a risk and it was recorded on a houseboat so here's a short preview and afterwards I will leave you for the rest of your day so thank you very much for listening my name is Fabian Tausch make sure to follow me on instagram and linkedin I'll link it down below thanks for tuning in here's Mark Taylorink
2: Today, artificial intelligence is what you call narrow. It can do one task really good. It can compare two documents. It can reconciliate a series of numbers. It can visual recognize from a picture which part of your catalog it is. Now, when you look to business improvement, there's a lot of processes in an organization that make an organization run. There are procurement parts, there are HR parts, hire to fire, procure to pay. Um, There are development to market and in all this process we have People that have done multi years of education knowledge workers or professionals Um, The sad thing is between the automotive automated processes as we know them now There's still a lot of manual work work. That is too hard for a computer in normal programming to say If this happens, I'll do that. Because you have so many exceptions. If this happens, if I do that. But if it's like this, I do it different. And human beings are really good in dealing with that. But there's also a lot of repetitive tasks. Like, you get 42 invoices from one client, all paid not the way you invoice them. A little bit too much, a little bit not enough. They compensate in the next invoice. They already take the credit that you promised them in it. All that kind of stuff. And when you look at these processes where they can improve, where they can not just optimize, but really improve for the human being, is taking the heavy lifting away. I mean, nobody went for four years to college and three years to law school to become a lawyer and spend 70% of their time comparing two documents of regulation.